uh, I believe, is probably one of the most sobering uh, passages in all of Scripture, the uh, great white throne judgment for unbelievers, and then sentenced to uh, the lake of fire for all eternity. Um, But it's also really a passage of rejoicing as well. It's bittersweet because Jesus said to his committed followers to rejoice that their names are written in heaven. And so we rejoice this morning, amen, that we belong to Jesus and that our names are written uh, in the book of life that are written in heaven. And so um, let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. Um, Thank you for rescuing us, for saving us, for giving us, um, Lord, life. Not only life eternal, life abundant. As we've sang, Lord, you are so good, so kind to us. And we recognize that it is your goodness that leads us to repentance. We thank you. We trust that as we've lifted up our voices, our hands, our hearts to you, that you've been honored this morning, that you've been blessed. For you are worthy of all of our thanks, our praise, our adoration. And we thank you for that amazing invitation Lord Jesus, to come unto you when we are weary and burdened. And we can become so easily wearied and burdened. And you tell us to come to you, to take your yoke upon us, to learn from you. And that is what we've done this morning. We've come to learn from you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for the rest that you give us. May we lay down in green pastures this morning. May you be the one that restores our souls May it be you who nourishes us this morning and changes us by the power of your spirit. We need a fresh work this morning. So have your way in our lives, in this place for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. All right, so just by following the the logical progression uh, of the book, the normal progression of the book of Revelation. Remember where we begin. The apostle John was on the island of Patmos, and he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation means unveiling, uncovering. In other words, um, this book is intended to show us, to reveal to us something new about Jesus, something beautiful and glorious about Jesus. And I don't know about you, but studying this, sharing this, going through it with you together, I have seen some amazing and beautiful things about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's more to come as we work our way through this book. And remember, um, Jesus gave John a simple outline for us to follow in order to help us understand the book of Revelation. In fact, Jesus told John, write down, number one, the things you've seen. What did John see? He saw the Lord Jesus in all of his glory, all of his splendor. Number one, write down what you've seen. Write down the things which are. Remember, that was chapter two and chapter three, where Jesus gives seven report cards, if you will, to the seven churches. And and, and by the way, it's for all of us because... 
He ended each one of those report cards with what? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. So we need to have ears. We're in that time period right now of the church age. The Lord is coming for us, the rapture of the church, to take us to the Father's house um, in order that we might escape the wrath to come. And so we've talked about this. We've, 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 uh, we've looked at this in depth. Remember in chapter 4 and chapter 5, John is supernaturally transported to heaven where he sees the throne and he sees the Lord high and lifted up, but he also sees the church there. There's only one group of people that can be singing the songs that are sung at that time in chapter 4 and chapter 5, and that would be us redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God. And not only that, we see that Jesus took the scroll from the Father, the title deed to planet Earth, and then he began to un. Uh, undo the scroll one by one, each seal, and it kicked off the tribulation period, which lasts from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 19. How long is that period again? Seven years is the tribulation period, correct? A time of unprecedented suffering, pain, um, just gnarly stuff that will happen on planet Earth, and ugliness, and it's going to take ugliness in order to bring the beauty of heaven to earth. And we see that in Revelation chapter 19, where Jesus comes back, that's his second coming, not to be confused with the rapture, which is before the tribulation. The second coming, Jesus comes back with his saints. Who would that be, by the way? That would be us. What are we riding? White horses, thank you. I, I just love that. We come back with Jesus, with him, and what does he do? He sets up his kingdom on this earth where all of the promises made in the Old Testament and all the promises in the New Testament will be ultimately fulfilled during the, it's called the Millennial Kingdom or the Kingdom Age. If you are coming on Wednesday nights or if you get a chance to listen, we are getting insight concerning the Millennial Kingdom. And it's beautiful, isn't it? For those of you who are coming, Jesus will be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. All nations will be flowing to Jerusalem. Jesus will give the Bible studies. Isn't that going to be great? Get rid of the bozo from California. See ya. Out of here, dude. He'll be, and all, how about the animal kingdom? Everything restored to like, like the Garden of Eden 2.0, if you will. And so... Satan will be locked up, right, incarcerated for thousand years. There are a time that will be marked by peace, um, no wars, no fighting, um, complete justice, completely perfect environment for a thousand years. But at the end of the thousand years, something happens. That's what we're going to learn this morning. Let's check it out. You ready? No, you guys not ready? A little more of an intro. You get, you know, let's go. Come on. Look what it says, chapter 20, verse 7. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. What's he going to do? And will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And just like that, 
The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So let me draw your attention to verse 7. So the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign, will come to an end. And when it comes to an end, by the way, it's a literal thousand years. It's mentioned about six or seven times in the first six verses. I think God wants us to know it is a literal thousand years. And what happens when the thousand years expire? Satan is sprung from his incarceration. Did you guys see that at the end of verse 7? And what does he do? He deceives. The devil does what he's known for, deception. And he goes on, I would say, a recruiting trip. He goes on a recruiting trip, and he fools a lot of people. In fact, how much is the sand on the, on the seashore? That's a lot, isn't it? And so his deception is on a global scale, including, notice what it says there, this area of Gog and Magog, and that area biblically is the area um, of modern-day Russia. That's what we're talking about. And so... Um, the devil deceives an innumerable company of people. Why? To wage war against the Lord and his people that are camped out there in Jerusalem. And I just want to kind of um, clarify something here. This invasion that we read about, and, and Gog and Magog are mentioned, it is not the same. I, this is my own opinion. You can take it or leave it. I don't believe this is the same invasion that is mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. That invasion is yet for us right now. In the future, I believe it will happen before, sometime before the tribulation period where Russia and her allies, um, including Iran and Turkey, will invade Israel. And what happens? God intervenes. Just like that, the Russian army is wiped out. And not only that, Russia itself gets wiped out completely and totally. And so there's some similarities. Um, Gog and Magog have historically been anti-God and uh, against Israel. But there's also major differences as well. I would encourage you to study it yourself. Don't take my word for it. You be a Berean and study yourself. It seems the same, but it's different. Um, and so the devil is released and goes back to what he's always done. Please notice here, incarceration didn't change him. Didn't change his heart, did it? Time in the slammer doesn't cure him. Chains don't fix him. He's still a liar and a deceiver. Just like putting a muzzle on a mean dog. A muzzle on a mean dog does not change a mean dog. You take that muzzle right off and what does he do? He's still a mean dog, right? Still a junkyard dog. And so same thing happens here with the devil. And what does he do? He influences a lot of people. And I just want to point this out too. When we see the, uh, it says um, in those verses that he gathered those together, the four corners of the earth, that does not mean the earth is flat, by the way. I, I can't believe I even have to say that. <laughs> this is a global deal. Maybe you're sitting here going, why, in the, why is this happening? Why does God allow this to happen? By the way, God is sovereign. This is totally under his control. 
But I believe personally that he is teaching us a number of lessons here. And one of those lessons is even under the most perfect circumstances, we see the wickedness of the human heart. Our, our problem is our hearts, correct? That's about maybe a third of the room. Here's, here's God's assessment of our hearts. Well, didn't the Disney princesses say, listen to your heart? No, don't listen to your heart. Listen to Jesus. How can you say that? Well, listen to what God says. The, this is um, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Wow. You know what that means? The biggest liar in the whole wide world is living right here in my chest and living in your chest. That's why we need a new heart, and that's what God offers. When we get born again, we get a new heart, we get a new start, and our part is to what? Simply trust Him. To trust and obey, there is no other way. And so, even under the most perfect circumstances, we see the wickedness of the human heart. A perfect environment doesn't change an evil heart. Only a perfect Savior. He's the only one. And so, again, maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, besides God's people, who is alive during this time? What's going on here? Remember, there's an interesting mix of people that are alive during the millennial kingdom. You've got the resurrected saints, us in our resurrected glorified bodies, correct? We talked about this last week. And then you've got a whole bunch of other people that are not in their resurrected bodies. Has that ever happened before? Acts chapter 1, Jesus, glorified, resurrected body. And who did he meet with for 40 days? His disciples, normal bodies. He's in his resurrected body. So this is something that's happened before. It's not unprecedented. And so you got this mixed bag of people. Well, who are these people alive during the kingdom age that end up joining in Satan's rebellion? I just want to give us, uh, just before we even go any further, this is not Christians that are doing This is not believers. This is not us, okay? Big, deep L.A. fitness breath this morning. You're not going to get deceived. You belong to the Lord, <laughs> okay? Well, who is this? Well, remember what happens um, at the end of the tribulation period, right, at the end of the seven-year period, um, Jesus comes back, and there are some people that survive, correct? Number one, those Jews that cry out for Jesus in recognition that he is the Messiah, they surrender their lives to Jesus and call upon him, and he comes to rescue them, correct? There, they survive the tribulation, there's other believers, non-Jews, Gentile, people from a Gentile background that get, end up getting saved. And there's also unbelievers that survive the tribulation. And remember what happens. If you're taking notes, you can check it out on your own. Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the judgment of the sheep and the... The sheep and the what, gang? The sheep and the goats, right? And Jesus makes a, right, a judgment call. These are the sheep, they enter into the kingdom, right? And those that are goats go where? They go off into judgment or future judgment, which we're going to look at in just a moment. So you have all believers 
that survived the tribulation going into the millennial kingdom. Does that make sense? Everybody on the... Does that make sense, y'all? Okay, hopefully. If not, come see me afterwards. And so these believers, they are not in glorified bodies. They are in normal bodies. They're born again. They've given their lives to Jesus. They've passed through the judgment of the nations or the sheep and the goat judgment. They've entered in and they begin to repopulate the planet. How many kids and grandkids and so forth do you think happened during a thousand years? Probably a lot, yes? There'd be lots of people repopulating the earth. Not a trick question. <laughs> lots of people. And just like their parents, those born during the kingdom age will have a sin nature. You with me? They have a sin nature. And here's the deal. Those children will be raised in a perfect environment, perfect teaching with Jesus, perfect righteousness, no perfect hood, perfect neighborhood, no crime, no nothing bad. Perfect justice, perfect peace. However, those children must make their own decision whether to follow Jesus Christ or not. I mean, can you imagine seeing Jesus, hearing him teach, and then ending up turning on him? That's heavy, isn't it? And so man has freedom of choice. We have freedom of choice. Some will choose Jesus and some will not. They will reject him. Even under the most perfect circumstances, man's problem is in the heart. We see the wickedness of the human heart. The rebellion that lurks within. A perfect environment doesn't change an evil heart. Only Jesus can do it. And they say, no, we don't want Jesus. And I would say, you know, another lesson is you're not going to win in a fight against Jesus. It's really simple. You will not win fighting against Jesus, rejecting him, rebelling against him. It only brings problems, issues, emptiness, and ultimately darkness. And so look at verse 9 with me. So this great deceived multitude, what do they do? They gather together and they surround the campground of God's children and, then the, and the much beloved city of Jerusalem. And then just like that, boom, God sends fire from above and it's game over. Isn't that great? Just like that. The complete end of man's rebellion against God. I think, again, the passage teaches us something else. When you run with the devil, you will end up being toast. You end up being burned. You're playing with fire. And I, if, if you're listening this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ... The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The Bible says either you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. I know it's heavy. It's heavy. It's what the book says. That's what John wrote. And God wants to make you his child today. And it's so simple. You repent. You have a change of heart, change of mind, change of direction, and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. You will pass from death to life out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his light, set free from the bondage of sin and death and set free by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's not an accident you're here or listening. The Lord loves you and he's reaching out to you right now to rescue you also. Well, look at verse 10. The deceiver stopped, picked up, and tossed into the eternal lake of fire. And who does he join that's already there? The rest of the unholy trinity. 
the Antichrist and the false prophet. And um, notice the lake of fire means unending suffering for these three who introduced and promoted so much suffering into the human condition. What's the devil's future? Eternal torment. Eternal torment. Our adversary, our, the enemy of our souls, knows where he is headed. This is his destiny. And I just want to remind us this morning, he is not co-equal with Jesus Christ. I think it's good to be reminded of that. The devil is not Jesus' co-equal in any way, shape, or form. Jesus, Colossians 1 tells us, in many places, Jesus created all things. All things are created by him and for him. Satan, a.k.a. Lucifer, was a created angel with position, with privilege, with honor. He got lifted up in pride, and what happened? He fell. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And he fell from his exalted position, his beautiful position that God had given him, and leads a third of the angels into rebellion. And we know the lake of fire, hell, was created for Satan and his angels, Jesus tells us. And so, the devil ends up in the lake of fire, the biblical place known as hell. It's also known as outer darkness, everlasting fire. It's also mentioned as Gehenna. When you read hell, or Jesus speaking about hell being Gehenna, outside of Jerusalem was the dump called Gehenna in the Valley of Hinnom. And that's where trash would be burned continually. There was a fire always going for the trash and the waste of the city. And Jesus likened hell to that place of eternal burning. And so the lake of fire was not originally created as a place of punishment for humans. However, listen, if man chooses to reject Jesus and submit his ways to the wicked one, that person's future will be the same as the devil's. And God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In fact, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants to rescue people, to save people, in order that his house will be filled up in heaven, that we will be with him for eternity. Listen, hell is a place of conscious suffering. Jesus spoke about hell as a place to be avoided at all costs. In fact, Jesus said it will be a place of weeping, gnashing of teeth, physical torment, darkness where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. If you're taking notes, Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 um, speaks of hell as a place of everlasting shame and contempt. And so hell is a place without hope. It's final. There's no repentance. There's no purgatory. There's no second chances. You can't pay your way out. You can't work your way out. It is the eternal place of punishment. And those who reject Jesus and want nothing to do with him or his heaven ending up getting what they want. No fulfillment, no joy, no love, no peace. It's not temporary suffering and punishment. It's not annihilation. It is eternal suffering forever and ever. And what did God do to rescue us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. For the Father did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus came to save sinners. That's our greatest need is to be saved. Amen. 
And God knew that, and so he sent his only begotten and much beloved son to pay the price, to absorb the punishment and wrath that you and I deserve for our sins. He paid our penalty in his life's blood as he hung on the cross. And what did he cry out? My God, my God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dad, where are you? In darkness, crying out for the Father. Why? So that you and I would never have to say that, precious brother or sister. That we could know today and know always that Jesus promised to never leave you nor forsake you. He's always with you and he's always with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I'm never alone because of Jesus. Well, look at verse 11 through 15. Heavy. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So sobering to consider this scene that God enabled John to see. And so we look at verse 11. What does he see next? The next thing he sees is this huge white throne. And who does he see sitting on? He sees the Lord sitting on this massive white throne. And this next part of this verse is like kind of trippy, man. Because from his face, the earth and heaven fled away and they're gone. Is that interesting? Jesus said that would happen, didn't he? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. His words are eternal. Peter talked about it, 2 Peter, didn't he? The, 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 the The current earth and heavens dissolving, being burned up. So the Lord just looks and earth and heaven's gone. And what's all that's left is a courtroom. That's it. Giant white throne, the Lord seated on it, and you got a whole line of people. <coughs> Look what it says in verse 12. John sees a group of people from every status of life. Poor, rich, famous, infamous, known, unknown, well-known, significant, insignificant. The great equalizer is what? Death. And the great white throne, the great equalizer. There is no escape. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the, the judgment. And so I just want to remind us again, you guys ready for another big LA Fitness breath this morning? This is not for you and I, Christian believer. 
This is for those that have rejected Jesus, rejected the testimony and the witness of God in their lives. And every person that ever died throughout history will stand before God Almighty, the righteous judge. This is every individual that rejected the testimony and witness of God that he supplied to them. And so each one, please notice, will be standing alone before God. Jesus called this, if you're taking notes, John 5, verse 29, Jesus calls this the resurrection of condemnation. This is the second resurrection. So what an unbeliever dies today. Unbeliever dies today. Their soul goes to Hades, a holding cell. Body in the ground, cremated, buried, whatever. And then what happens at this point in time, after the thousand-year reign, what happens? All of a sudden, the body and the soul are reunited. There's resurrection to stand before the Lord. Please take, no, please take a message for me. I'll get back to you. This is too important. Whatever their position in life, those things will mean nothing when they stand before God. They will have to take ownership for their lives, the choices they made, and ultimately the most important choice is what do you do with Jesus? And John saw what? Some books that were open. He also saw this special book, the book of life, and it too was open. And those people who died and were raised to stand before God were judged, what does it say? According to what they had done in their life by the things written in the books. I had a very good question after first service. What's written in the books? Well, it tells us the things that people did. They said, they did, they didn't do, their thoughts, words. Aren't you glad that we're not going to be judged for our words, brother or sister? Jesus said, every idle word will you'll be held accountable for. Thank you, Lord, that I'm forgiven. Our sins and our lawless deeds, you will remember no more. Isn't that good news this morning? But throughout history, listen, God's keeping a record. For this day, on file. For this very day. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Those who died at sea, perhaps, or those whose ashes were spread over the sea, possibly. And then death, the grave, gives up the bodies, while Hades gives up the souls, is the idea. Again, for the unbeliever, both body and soul, we brought back together, reunited and raised to stand before God in his courtroom. And then notice it's repeated again. Those who stand before God, look at verse 13, 13 with me. At this time will be judged individually, each one, by what they did while they lived on earth. Notice what's absent. No court-appointed attorneys. No mediators. There's no people, there's no record of people demanding answers from God. You ever hear people say that? And I, man, when I get up there, I get the, so I'm going to tell the big guy a thing or two. You won't be, no, you won't. And God keeps a record 
And it is an open and shut case. God looks to what? To see if that person's name is in the book of life. Since it's not in the book of life, it's absent. Now that person's works gets checked out to see if they earned their way to heaven. The problem about earning your way to heaven is what? We all fall short of the glory. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've broken the law, correct? Every one of us lawbreakers, correct? Yes, we're all lawbreakers. Hopefully, we all recognize that. And sometimes people say, well, what about, what about little Bongo in the conga? Never heard anything. If you're so concerned about him, maybe God's calling you to be a missionary to him. <laughs> Here's the deal. God has not left himself without witness. Creation testifies. Our conscience. Paul talks about that in Romans 1, 2, and 3. Our conscience and the, and the commandments written on our hearts. If we don't have the law, it's still written on our hearts and our conscience bearing witness to it. And how about the Holy Spirit? Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity is written on every person's heart. Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he was at Mars Hill, he gave this amazing uh, sermon, if you will. He's ministering to the people there, trying to reach them, trying to connect with them, because rescued people rescue people. And he's sharing with them and trying to connect the dots to help them. And he said, God has pre-appointed everyone's boundaries and where they're born and the time when they're born in order that we might come to know him. You know what that means? God has done everything he can short of twisting our arm to bring us to be with him. Man is without excuse. And you hear people say, well, I'm an atheist. God doesn't believe in atheists, dude. You know there's a creator. You're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. That's an excuse. Your problem is, not in this room, maybe online, Your problem is you love darkness rather than light. In other words, you love your sin. That's your problem. And you're not willing to come to the light, and you're making excuses to justify what you're doing. Paul said it. You're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and hardening your heart and hardening your heart. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of the rebellion. You respond to him. He loves you. Because this is, this is your future if you're rejecting Jesus Christ or trusting in your own goodness or trusting in your own works or trusting in a, your own church membership or some ritual you perform. There is, no other, there is no other name under heaven in which a man can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ tell, himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's only through Jesus. He's made it so simple. He did it all. He did it all for you and me. And we just received the free gift from him. And so at this point, 
These people will be exposed as sinners, lawbreakers, guilty before a holy God. In verse 14, these two holding places are no longer needed. Everything is being consolidated. They also go into the lake of fire. And then this group of people, notice the second death, this group of people who died that were raised to stand before God, they're found guilty, they rejected Jesus Christ, sentenced to the lake of fire, experiencing death for all eternity. They die once physically, then a second time eternally when they are separated from the Lord, the source of life. That's frightening. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If your name is not in this book, you will not be in heaven, but hell for all eternity. That's what the passage says. I wonder how many churches are actually still teaching that today. Can I remind us? as Jesus did to his disciples. when they came, Remember when they came back from that missions trip, short-term mission trip? Lord, you wouldn't believe it. The demons were subject to us. Man, we were hot stuff out there. Remember what Jesus said? I saw Satan fall like lightning. I think he's trying to deal with that pride issue. Right? Don't get puffed up with pride, right? Because you may fall. He who stands, take heed lest he fall. But then he said, what? Don't rejoice in this, that the demons are subject to you, but what? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Are you still rejoicing that your name's written in heaven? Is that reason to rejoice? It is. You're not going to hell. Thank you, Lord. We're heaven bound. This is one of the the spookiest passages And Jesus also spoke about this day. The reason I'm bringing it up is because this morning at 7 a.m., we're going through the book of James, and James says, faith without works, three times faith without works is is dead. You guys know. We don't want to just have a mere profession, but we want to have a real possession of a real relationship with the Lord. Because here's what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, check that out, many will say to me in that day. That's what we're looking at right now. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And have done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's frightening. There are those that claim the name of Jesus that actually do stuff, radical stuff. And then standing before the Lord, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. And you dem- and here's the deal. You demonstrated that we didn't have a relationship by the way you lived your life. He practiced lawlessness. That's heavy. And that's what's happening here. 
Guys, what's the application? Hell is not a myth. It is a literal place. There is no party going on there. Some, as some songs, right, say. It's not, it's not the cool place to be, literally. Right, because some people say that. You Christians, you're a bunch of squares. You're a bunch of lamos. I don't want to go to heaven if I have to be with you. I'd rather be in hell where the cool people are. Again, nothing cool about hell. Can I just remind us this is an essential doctrine? Let me say that again. This is an essential doctrine. We must not ignore the reality of hell. You don't have a gospel. You don't have good news without the doctrine of hell. Because God saves us from hell. To heaven, to himself, to a relationship. Without the do- Listen, without the doctrine of hell, you call into question the character of God. Let me repeat that. Without the doctrine of hell, you call into question the character of God. If he doesn't judge sin, he's unrighteous. And guess what? He will judge sin. And for us as believers, we rejoice because why? Because Jesus was judged for us as he hung on the cross. In fact, Jesus said, isn't this beautiful? John 5, 24. I got to read it. John 5, 24. Beautiful words from our Lord Jesus. He said, speaking of judgment, he said, most assuredly, or amen, amen, verily, verily, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Is that good news this morning? That's awesome. Hell is connected with the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Listen, hell must be talked about, and we, listen, brother or sister, we cannot sugarcoat the reality of it. It awakens the unbeliever to the reality of life after death. Did Jesus speak about hell? I found out, I don't know if this is true or not, 10 to 13% of the words he spoke, he spoke about hell. If Jesus spoke about hell, guess what? What about his followers? And, and when we do, by, by the way, we share the truth in love. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like crucial. All, some of you, you guys know what I'm talking about. You've had truth given to you, all truth, 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 and it's just boom, boom, boom. But a balance of truth and grace, it helps us. And so when we preach or teach or simply share about hell, Number one, it's a reminder we're not going there. It awakens the unbeliever to the reality. And aren't you excited about heaven, by the way? I'm excited. 
And it also brings about a burden for the lost. Let me ask you a question. If you had the cure for a terminal illness, would you share it? Or would you hide, on, would you hide it, hold on to it, put it under a bushel? If you had the cure for cancer, what would you do with it? I'd sell it, man, give 10% to the church. <laughs> what would you do? Wouldn't you get it out there? Listen, you and I have what people need for the deliverance from eternal suffering, and that's Jesus Christ. I can't believe I have so much time left. That means I got a story. I don't, I'm not normally a storyteller, but it fits. When my girls were in an accident years ago, hit by that drunk driver. God protected them. And my Alana, she was little. I don't even remember how old she was. And she said, uh, Dad, we need to pray for that guy because I don't think he knows Jesus and he's going to hell. The drunk driver. I was ready to slug the dude's mug. (laughs) She's wanting to pray for him. I think how, how far our hearts can be from the Lord's heart so often. That he doesn't want anyone to perish apart from him. And he's given us the good news, not to hoard, not to hide, not to put our light under a bushel, but to be his faithful witnesses. And to ask him, to, to, to pray, God, give us boldness. Like, like, like they prayed in the early church, give us boldness. And, and God filled them afresh to empower them to be his witnesses. And listen, God does keep a record. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, all the bad things in your record have been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And all that's left over is the good things that you've done for him that you're going to be rewarded for. Aren't you glad your record's erased? Aren't you glad your name's written in heaven? It's all because of Jesus. In his name. Lord, thank you so much. What else can we say? You're so good. God, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, that hasn't put their trust in your son, Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. That they, Lord, would not perish apart from you. For them, the worst is yet to come. And so, Lord, though we rejoice, the best is yet to come for us. We God, we have heavy hearts for those that are rejecting you. Would you do a work this morning by your Spirit in our hearts, in this place?